0: Please. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The third Sunday in Advent introduces John the Baptist, who's the center of the Gospel for both the third and fourth Sunday in Advent. But it's it's a very interesting story because it's one that shows some doubt on the part of John the Baptist. John the Baptist began his ministry by the Jordan River Saying, repent, of the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He told, you know, he called the Pharisees drew the viper, to, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. And John preached in a way that made it clear he expected the kingdom to come right away. So when he introduced Jesus as the Messiah, we would begin the, the new order. And so John, in our gospel today, it's, it's sometime later, and John continues his preaching, confronted Herod, the king, about his Uh, illicit marriage, Uh, wasn't very popular with Harry the king, so he got thrown into the dungeon, and sitting in the dungeon prison, John is wondering, wait a minute, the kingdom was supposed to come, and here I'm sitting here, so he sends messengers to Jesus, and this is a very interesting thing, are you the one or not? Which is remarkable for the guy who stood by the Jordan River saying, behold the Lamb of God. So John had this connection between, or this experience of expectation leading to disappointment. And it's interesting that Jesus responds. To go, go tell John what you see. The, the blind see their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and says, blessed are those who are not offended in me. That is, who are not offended because faith in me leads to some kind of trial. This pattern is instructive for us because it, it happens to each of us at some point in time in our life of faith. We come to faith typically in some experiential way. We we experience Christ maybe through an experience of conversion or some kind of answered prayer or something that makes Jesus a real and present uh, thing in our lives. But inevitably and invariably in the life of faith, we go down the road a bit and find ourselves not in this place of joy and, and fulfillment, but but in, in some sort of captivity where we don't quite get what we want. Or we expect it because we believe these things would happen and it, it all came to pass in, in a certain different way. And we're kind of like John. Is mean, just really the God. And we get the same response. Jesus points to scriptural evidence and to his you know, our experience of him in our lives, and says so to us, blessed are those who are not offended because of me. Of course, in a larger sense, this is the, the struggle of faith in the world in general. We, we believe that Jesus is Lord and King, and yet we see all these things going on in the world, evil and justice. How do we relate? How do we connect the idea that Jesus is Lord and King with the idea that all this other stuff is going on? It's the same thing in our own lives. If, if if Jesus is God is really with me, why am I struggling at work? Why is there difficulty in my relationships? Why have I experienced some tragedy? Why are my children having problems? If we look at the scriptures, one thing we have to understand is that, is that God's revelation comes in a certain cycle of, of fulfillment which in turn leads to a yet greater expectation. So, for example, Moses saved the Israelites from Egypt to the Exodus. So, fulfillment, we're saved. But then comes the wilderness, the long wilderness of challenge. So, that fulfillment gives way to this expectation now to make it through this need to make it through the wilderness. Israel enters the promised land, and God fulfills all the promises to the That's what it says when David becomes king. But then David's descendants are unfaithful, and Israel has to wait for a Messiah to come. Then Jesus comes and says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and yet there's all this unfinished business uh, in in Israel. The kingdom is not fully there yet. And this is how it happens in our own lives. The Holy Spirit comes to us and brings with it on one level a fulfillment of the promises of God in the forgiveness of our sins and in the experience of God's presence, but on another level we're not quite there yet. We we look for the resurrection of the body and the life in the world to come. One thing that distinguishes, and one, one way to look at this difference between Life in the Spirit, or how we look at this life in the Spirit, is to contrast the prison experience of of John the Baptist with the prison experiences of the apostles who come after John. John reacts to this differently because John still lives in the old covenant age. John preached that the Messiah would come and baptize with the Holy Spirit, but John never saw that baptism. John never entered into the age of the spirit. So he did not yet, in his experience, understand how the kingdom could be here, but not really here. If we go forward, we look at the experience in Acts, for example, it tells us how James and John, for their preaching of the gospel, they were arrested and put in jail. Now, Acts describes that when they were in jail, they were beaten, which means probably a lot of whips on the back. And then it tells us that, quote, they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. St. Paul, uh, who wrote so much of the New Testament, spent much of his ministry in jail also. He calls himself a servant of Christ. And he means this quite literally, not just that he's... Bound to follow Christ, but he's actually in jail because he belongs to Christ. But he looked at his prison experience differently as well. He, he says, for example, to the Philippians, I want you to know that my imprisonment has actually turned out for the good because now the gospel is being preached throughout the whole palace guard. What is different about the experience of the apostles from the experience of John the Baptist is the advent. Well, two things, really. The narrative of the cross which is the prelude to resurrection and the gift of the Spirit. The apostles are conscious. They're living in this time of the, of the kingdom being present but not present in which we share in the sufferings of Christ and hope of the future glory. And they were able to process their experience in time in terms of this eternal hope because they had seen the life of Christ and they understood it, they experienced their own lives through the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the way we are called to live, to to live life with this present expectation also having this future hope. Now, to do things like you know being be rejoicing because we're getting beat up for Jesus' name, to, to develop this perspective, we have to begin to value eternal things. We have to begin to value the things that God is creating in us through our temporal struggles. 2 Peter says to us, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and your virtue with knowledge, and your knowledge with self-control, and your self-control with perseverance, and your perseverance with godliness, and your godliness with brotherly affection, and your brotherly affection with love. For if these things are yours in increasing they will make you neither uh, ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to value what God is doing in our lives, what God is creating in us. And when we do that, our life of prayer becomes not merely the attempt to get God to save us from our pain, but also an understanding of what God is doing in the midst of this. If all we ever want God to do is save us from all these temporal troubles. We'll miss this larger dimension of God's Word. We will be able to pursue happiness, but we won't be able to grow in uphold holy. However, we have this hope. It's, on one level, we have this reality of the cross in our lives. On the other level, we... We believe in something like a fairy tale. We believe the Christ will appear, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, and the creation will be renewed. We have this future hope, and we enjoy a little bit of that now through the gift of the Spirit. This is the right way to understand the Christian life. For example, when we do healing, we pray for healing. We know everybody we pray for. But that measure of healing we experience in unction is a taste right now of that future resurrection. Just as we come to the altar and receive the body and blood of Jesus, this is a, a taste at a moment in time of something we will receive in full later on. And the proper way to understand life is to hold these things in tension. this present suffering with this reality of future glory, and to understand how we actually experience that future reality now in the present. This enables us to have a certain sanity about life. We can look at the good things we have in life as a taste of future glory, and then the trials we go through remind us everything here is going to end, and we have something beyond that. The alternative to this what we call the sacramental view of life, that that what we have now is a case of the future, but not its full reality. The alternative to that is cynicism, disappointment, always expecting more out of life and just being disappointed by it, or on the other hand, being sort of naively optimistic, oh, it's all going to be great, and ignoring the present. Sanity, which is Christian faith, is holds these two intentions, present suffering and future glory. And understand we have a real taste of the future kingdom right now in Christ in the Spirit. But it's not all here yet. So we live now, but we have our hope in the future. As Romans says, we glory in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces patience, perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. While we have time, let us do good unto all men, and especially unto them that are of the household.